Our scripture reading this evening is Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. And if you're reading along in the Red Pew Bible, you will find that on page 948. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. At the end of that long list of traits and expectations and suggestions for Christians is the statement that is made there, or the expectation that is to be had there, that it is Christians are to be given to hospitality. They're to be given to hospitality. And as we think about what we talked about last week on Sunday night and John's sermon on the concept and the idea of fellowship, I want us to spend some time this evening talking about the idea of hospitality. Hospitality, for a portion of the last year, if not the majority or all of the last year for the majority of Christians, is something that has gone by the wayside, unfortunately. But it's something that is still a responsibility of Christians and something that you and I should be striving to try to have part of our lives and to become better at and to be individuals that are, again, given to hospitality. And so let's talk about this concept of hospitality for a few moments this evening. First, I want us to consider that hospitality is truly a biblical principle. It's a biblical principle. When we think about the word hospitality, it's something that's used even in the modern-day vernacular in the, in the secular world when we think about the hospitality industry, don't we? When we think about people coming to be uh, hosted as guests, maybe at a hotel or motel of some sort. And those, those industries are all in the business of hospitality, that is, hosting someone. But I want us to, to consider that, that there is another layer, another element to the concept of hospitality when it comes to the biblical principle of hospitality. It, is, it comes from the Greek word philozenos, which is this idea of the first part of that word, the concept of, of friend. When we think about the word Philadelphia or phileo love, we, we recognize the city of brotherly love and, and friendship and that type of thing. The concept of friend, and then the second part being the word stranger, xenos having to do with the idea of a stranger. You may see in the word xenophobia, and it's sometimes thrown out in our world today, that people who are, who are afraid of or have a phobia of strangers well, when it comes to hospitality, what we're talking about is making, ultimately, strangers into friends. Hospitality is literally the practice of taking someone who is a stranger and making them your friend by tending, them, tending to them as you would a friend. It's said of the Christians in the first century, there's a, a particular quote by the Roman ruler Julian. He's, he's referenced as saying this, about the first century Christians, the early, early, I'm sorry, the fourth century Christians. As children are coaxed with cake, so have these Christians enticed the poor to join them by kindness. 
Strangers they have secured by hospitality, by affecting brotherly love, great moral purity, and honoring their dead, they have won the multitude. He says, they have secured strangers by hospitality. In other words, Christians that were part of the early church were securing strangers, not binding them in some sort of of handcuff type of approach, but rather that they were winning them over. They were securing them as, as part of the family through this practice of hospitality, through this endeavor to see a stranger and have a goal in making them into a friend. And that's how I want us to make sure that we are thinking about hospitality this evening, and that is Well, there's going to be some overlap, won't there be, when it comes to hospitality and things like kindness and love. But the specific thing I want us to focus in on this evening with regard to hospitality is taking special attention to take someone from the the category of stranger to the category of friend. Certainly, we can be kind to strangers, and we can be also kind to our loved ones and our family and those who are already friends. But with regard to the concept and idea of hospitality tonight, I want us to keep coming back to this idea of taking someone with the special attention, the intention to take someone from the category of stranger to the category of friend. You may say, well, hospitality is a good thing. And hospitality is even something, like we said, is in the secular world. So what is it about hospitality and its connection to the Bible? And its connection to the Christian life. Consider, secondly, this evening that hospitality isn't just a good thing, it's an expectation. It's an expectation of Christians. It was already mentioned a moment ago in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, the very end of that list there, to be given to hospitality. But think about this that even in the Old Testament, God's people have always been expected to treat strangers with kindness. You may look at Leviticus chapter number 19 and also Deuteronomy chapter number 10. You may go back in your Bible later in this week and and consider those verses, but notice that even in the old law, even before Christ came, even before Christianity was established, God's people were expected to be hospitable, to look at strangers and to treat them as friends, to have the idea of looking at them as though they are another soul, as though they matter even to God. Not only that, we consider the fact that hospitality is an expectation of church leaders. It is a qualification of elders. In order for them to be qualified, elders must be hospitable. They must be given to hospitality. It's mentioned both in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2, as well as Titus chapter 1 and verse number 8. If our elders, if our leaders are going to be effective in their work, in their ministry to the local church, they need to be, they must be hospitable. They must be individuals that look out in the congregation and that, well, you might say, but wait, shouldn't they already know everyone in the congregation? Yes, they should, right? But that's the point is is they have to look out in the congregation. Who who do I not know? Who do I not have a relationship already built with and have the goal in mind that in order to shepherd them and to take them under their wing and to help them to grow and to to care for their soul, they're going to need to have a relationship with them, and that's oftentimes going to be built upon the practices of hospitality that we're going to talk about here in a moment. Think about the fact that it is an expectation, not just a good idea, but it's an expectation, a requirement of our leaders, of our elders. But not only that, that hospitality is an expectation of the church as a whole. 
Think about Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10, that we are to do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith, but it's not limited to the household of faith. That we're to be good, to do good unto all men. We're to be hospitable and, and individuals that are looking at souls and seeing people as souls and wanting to take them from that category of stranger to friend. But also, especially, hospitality is an expectation of individual Christians. It's an expectation of individual Christians, as we said a moment ago, it's at, that, at the end of that list from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, to be given to hospitality. There's another translation that puts it this way, that we are to be pursuing hospitality. That hospitality isn't something that we, we do one day and then the next, we don't just decide not to do it that day, but then maybe we do it another day down the road. But rather that it's a constant endeavor. It's a continuous action. It's not a once a year thing. This is something that's to be constantly present in our lives to be constantly present in our lives. We consider that also hospitality is an expectation for salvation. And don't misunderstand, just because you're hospitable doesn't mean that you've now checked a box that says, okay, I'm, I'm earning my salvation, I'm working my way towards my salvation. So what we talked about this morning in our, in our class in Galatians. But as you think about the fact from Roman, uh, Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 35, and that entire section there all the way to the end of the chapter in which Jesus is listing out all these things that various people had done. And he says, you did all these things to me. Remember, he says, you clothed me and you fed me and you, you took me in when I was in need and you visited me when I was in prison. And some said, when did we do these things for you, Lord? And Jesus said, anytime you did these things to the least of these, my brethren, you did them to me. But then he goes on to say towards the end of that section, those of you that didn't do those things to the least of my brethren, you did not do them unto me. And the implication there is that when we are not hospitable, when we don't look at those that are strangers and those that are not our friends, and, and we don't have that desire to move them into that category of friend, to, to see them as souls, we're not living the Christian life the way that we should. And our salvation is in jeopardy. But not only that, as we consider hospitality as an expectation, consider that it's an expectation because Jesus practiced it. Because Jesus practiced it. Now, we, we might say, well, how is it that, that Jesus practiced it? In Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus said that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head how is Jesus able to practice hospitality? Well, that's a good question, as one will consider in a, in a few moments. But hospitality is not just about having someone into your home. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have been one that was able to be hospitable and wasn't able to be one that could see someone that was a stranger and move them into that category of friend. He practiced it in John chapter number 13, in the scenario in which he washed his disciples' feet. He practiced it in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, in which after he calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, we find Jesus then in the next couple of verses eating in Matthew's house. It wasn't in his own house, Jesus' house. But rather, he was sharing a meal. That's the point. He was sitting around a table with some other individuals who were strangers to him at one time. And the the Pharisees and, and, and the uh, Sadducees, they would look at Jesus and they would question him for doing these types of things. But Jesus was one who practiced the idea of philozanos, right? To take someone, to look at someone as a stranger and move them into that category of friend. So it's an expectation. So how do we do it? How do we put it into practice? How do we implement these things into our lives? Consider the means of hospitality, the means of hospitality. 
And, and each time we think about these things, right, we said we can do all these things with our family members and they could be categorized as kindness. But I want us to consider this from the angle of taking someone again from that position of stranger to the position of friend. How do we do that? As we said, share a meal. Share a meal. When was the last time that you had someone over into your home? Or maybe if you don't have a home or you, you're not a great cook, when was the last time you just shared a meal with someone else who wasn't already your friend? Did you invite them to go out to Sunday lunch with you? To say, hey, I, I, I can't have you over to my home right now, but, but would, would you like to go out to eat with me today? To, to encourage that individual, to, to welcome them, to see them as a potential friend, to see them as a soul, taking someone from stranger to friend by sharing a meal, by tending to their physical needs. In Acts chapter number 16, verse number 33, after Paul and Silas have been singing in, in jail at midnight, remember they were, their, their bonds were loosed by the earthquake and the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had got away and they stopped him and said, no, we're still here. What happens next? The jailer takes Paul and Silas into his home and he tends to their needs. He tends to their physical needs and washes their stripes and helps heal their wounds. Taking someone from stranger to friend, that idea of, of tending to someone's physical needs. How about giving someone shelter in the face of adversity? Giving someone shelter in the face of adversity. Something that maybe we might squirm at a little bit because, it's, because of the world that we live in, it seems like it might be dangerous to, to give someone shelter that we don't know that we don't have any relationship with. And, and I'm not suggesting that we be individuals that are not cautious and that we don't have wisdom and, and prudence, but rather there's something to be said for taking care of the needs of those who are facing adversity. Think about Luke chapter number 10 and the account of, of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus gives this example of someone who is truly a, a neighbor to someone else. How does he do it? He, he helps heal his wounds. That is the, the Jewish man who had been, had been beaten and, and things taken from him. And he, he heals his wounds and he puts them onto his beast of burden and he takes him to an inn and he pays for his shelter. Maybe you don't have a, an extra bed in your house, but do you have the extra means that you might be able to put someone up for a night somewhere in a hotel of some sort? Not just for the sake of, of being a good moral person as the world might look at you, but looking at that individual soul and saying, I'm going to move them from stranger to friend. And I'm going to think about the fact that through that opportunity, I might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Treat someone better than they deserve. We already referenced John chapter 13 a little while ago. Think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, but think about him washing Judas's feet. Think about him washing Judas' feet. Someone who, who was betraying him in the process of betraying him would eventually betray him. And Judas was having his feet washed by Jesus. Jesus was treating him better than he deserved. How about showing someone that you appreciate them? In Mark chapter number 1, verses 29 through 31, after Peter's mother-in-law is healed of her infirmity, she immediately gets up and she starts serving them. She shows Jesus that she appreciates what he's done for her. Think about that maybe when a stranger happens to help you on the side of the road and they've helped you, maybe you, were, you had a flat tire, they helped you and do you in turn find a way to show appreciation to them for the purpose of seeing their soul and winning them over from stranger to friend? You can bless others with your talents and possessions 
Think about Acts chapter number 9, verses 36 through 39, in which we remember Dorcas, or sometimes called Tabitha, who, who made coats and tunics for others. Remember that her friends lamented the fact that she had passed away. She made an impression on other people by the fact that she had made garments for them. And they meant something to them because of what she had done for them. She showed kindness and hospitality by taking people who at one point she didn't know to, to making them people that were friends and that had close relationships with her. How about housing missionaries and preachers, or in this case, in 2 Kings chapter number 4, a prophet, the prophet Elisha, in which you recall the Shunammite woman and her husband building on a room to their house for Elisha to live in when he came through? Talk about some hospitality. I mean, it's one thing to let someone stay in your bed that you already have. It's another thing to support a missionary, a preacher, or a prophet by literally taking materials and building onto your house so that they might be able to stay there because you recognize the opportunity for souls to be reached through that missionary. How about welcoming former enemies and thinking about Acts chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, in which Paul was welcomed as one who was a former enemy, as one who formerly had been a persecutor of the church, but Aquila and Priscilla welcomed him in to be part of and working alongside him as a tent, them as a tent maker, even staying together. How about providing basic needs? Acts chapter 28, verse number 2, we have, they're, they're known as the natives at, uh, at the end of Acts chapter number 28, in which the, after the shipwreck, Paul and those who were with him were provided fire, some warmth, just a simple act of kindness in that particular situation. What does it say? Because of the, the rain and the cold, they were in need. These individuals were in need, and they provided basic needs. They showed them kindness is the word that's used there. Very similar word as we think about the concept of hospitality. Open your home as a place of worship. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, and Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 5, Aquila and, Pris uh, and Priscilla were mentioned to have the church in their house. Think about the opportunity that you have as a member of the church here in Katy to open up your home at least in the past and hopefully again sometime in the, in the near future, to youth devotionals. To open your home as a place of worship. To take those young people from a category of, I don't know their name, I know they belong to so-and-so, I can't remember who they are, to good friend. And have a relationship with them. And seeing that transition from stranger to friend for the purpose of helping them to grow, to mature, to be a mentor to them. How about hosting singings in your home? Maybe even how about this as we think about stranger to friend? Inviting your neighbors to a Bible study that you're having in your home with fellow Christians. Using your home as a place of worship, as a place of growth. Those are the means of hospitality. Consider next the blessings of hospitality. What, what's so great about hospitality? What, what comes from it? Consider that certainly as we talk about this concept of transitioning from stranger to friend, certainly you gain a friend through hospitality. I learned this from my granddad. I've been trying to teach this to my, to my children. This, this statement that we use, I went out to find a friend, but I couldn't find one there. I went out to be a friend, and friends were everywhere. When we truly practice the concept of hospitality in our lives, we gain friends, not because we just want a bunch of friends to make ourselves feel better, because we see that our influence spreads through those opportunities. 
I went out to find a friend, but I couldn't find one there. But I went out to be a friend. And friends were everywhere. When you're hospitable, you also validate your discipleship. We referenced this section earlier in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 46, in which when we truly, actually do the things that we ought to do as Christians and seeing those people that are in need, we validate that our discipleship is truly authentic, that it's real. When we're not hospitable, we might be perceived as individuals that are doing it all for show, that we're two-faced. Certainly we don't want that to be our reputation among people. Hospitality is something that we should, should strive for, and it's a blessing when we actually participate in it that our discipleship is validated. Consider that you also till potentially fertile soil. That is, a soil, as you think about the parable of the sower, in which he, you have these different soils, and the seed being the Word of God being cast into those different soils. Some are more fertile than others, and some are kind of in between, right? But maybe that one in between, if, if you just till it up a little bit, if you take some time to, to try to, to soften it up a little bit, maybe the gospel might be a little bit more receptive and they might be a little bit more receptive to the gospel in their lives. Think about Zacchaeus. He was certainly interested in Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, he climbed up in the tree of his own volition. But what happens when he comes down from the tree? What, what did him and Jesus go and do? They go and they sit together. He goes to Zacchaeus' home. He's willing, Jesus is, to be a guest, to, to show interest in him because he wants to take him from stranger to friend. Maybe Zacchaeus would have already converted without Jesus going to his house, but we don't know that. Maybe that was helpful in, in his endeavor to help Zacchaeus repent, and it led to his repentance. Think about a blessing of hospitality being you get a foretaste of heaven. You get a foretaste of heaven where every tongue and tribe and race and nation has the opportunity of being represented. Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9 a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I remember when I was a little kid hearing Johnny Ramsey say that the vestibule, right, a word we don't use anymore, the, the foyer, the, that, that section out there outside of the auditorium, it's just a foretaste of heaven divine, he said. It's a foretaste of heaven divine. Well, I'd add to that and I would say that, that if the vestibule is a foretaste of heaven divine, it's like a sample. Maybe you just go and you get the ice cream sample. They just let you have one little tiny little swath as they, as they move that little wooden spoon through the sample of the, the, through the ice cream bucket. Maybe the next one up might be an appetizer. That's, that's what hospitality is like. It's, it's even an even greater opportunity to be able to sit with other people and to get to know them and build relationships with them and, and people of all nations and tribes and, and, and races. Still not the full meal. Still just an appetizer, the full meal being heaven itself. But when we truly are hospitable and we have people in our homes and we spend time with other people, it's like that foretaste of heaven divine. Blessing of hospitality. You assist in furthering the gospel. In Acts chapter number 16, if you recall, after Lydia was converted, she insisted that Paul and Silas stay in her home. It's this hospitality that extended their time in Philippi, it seems, and ultimately eventually led to the conversion of the Philippian jailer. When you're hospitable, when you show others hospitality, you have the opportunity for others to be won over 
to see your good deeds, to know who you are and what, what you're really about. You please God, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 16. Scripture says as much. It says, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And you bring glory to God, Romans chapter 15 and verse number 7. That is, that's our ultimate goal. Paul says, receive one another just as Christ also received us. Talking specifically about receiving those uh, of, of all nations and all races. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, and receive them as Christians. But the implication is still there that when we truly receive people in a hospitable way, that we have the opportunity to bring glory to God. So as we conclude, consider some hindrances to hospitality. We know it's a good thing. We know it's an expectation. We know it has blessings that come from it. What are some things that hinder us from actually being hospitable? Consider that a hindrance to hospitality is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness, if you recall in 3 John verses 5-10, through 10, Diotrephes loved the preeminence. He didn't receive others while Gaius faithfully cared for both brethren and strangers. There's a contrast between those two individuals in 3 John chapter number 1, or through the whole, whole letter of 3 John. Are you one that is self-centered and prefers to be the one who is invited instead of being the one who invites others? Do you say in your mind, why do I never get invited to go to such and such place and do such and such thing? Why am I always left out? One of the hindrances to hospitality is to be is being self-centered. You know, there are just as many people who weren't invited to whatever gathering it is you're thinking about as you the one that you weren't invited to. Why aren't you taking the initiative to going and inviting those other people? I'm not saying have a, a spiteful thing. Well, if they didn't invite me, I'm going to have my own group over here. It's not what we're talking about. Talking about saying, look, there are other people that I have an opportunity to show hospitality to. I'm not going to be self-centered. It's a big hindrance to practicing hospitality. What about this stinginess? First Peter chapter four verse nine says, "Do not neglect." I'm sorry. Do it without complaining. To be hospitable without complaining. Stinginess sees hospitality as too much of an imposition. You know, I would host such and such, but it just costs too much money. You know, I would host, but it just takes so much time, and I'm already running short on so much time. You know, I would host, but every time I have people over, it damages my home. You know, people walk in with mud all over my carpet, and, and you know, those kids that always come over, they end up breaking those pretties that I have on my shelf. And you know, loads of dishes are in the sink after I host people. Just such an imposition. Stinginess. Does the money cost more than the soul that you could win over? Is the time that it might take not worth the soul that you have to win over? Are they not just things that are damaged? Can they not be replaced? Are they not going to be burned up in the end anyway? Don't just do it because you have to. Do it and like it. Don't complain about it. Do it without complaining. 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Consider this next one. Instagram syndrome. Instagram syndrome. You might put it this way. Martha Stewart syndrome. 
or pioneer woman syndrome. You know, I would host, but my house isn't put together enough. Or I would host, I would I'd be hospitable, but my house isn't big enough or clean enough or, or close enough. Have we not just talked about the fact that hospitality isn't just opening your home, but it's finding ways in any way that you can to taking someone from stranger to friend. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality, even if it means your house is dirty, even if it means your house is far away or it's not big enough. It might be a little tight in there. Now, don't misunderstand. I understand how it's so important to even people like my wife who want a, cl- a clean home and, and to be presentable and to not have places, the place look like you know a tornado just came through. But we need to maybe loosen up sometimes and thinking about the fact that we ought to be more hospitable and get over this Instagram syndrome that says your house isn't what it looks like in all these Instagram profiles. And it's never going to be unless that's all you spend your time on. That's all you care about in this world. Don't be caught up by those things. One person made the distinction between hospitality and entertaining. They said, entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my clever decorating, my cooking, but hospitality seeks to minister and says, this home is a gift from my master. I use it as he desires. Hospitality aims to serve. Entertaining puts things before people. As soon as I get to the house, as soon as I get the house finished, the living room decorated, my home's, my house cleaning done, then I will start inviting people. Hospitality puts people first. No furniture? Well, we'll just eat on the floor. The decorating may never get done, but you come anyway. The house is a mess, but your friends come home with us. Entertaining subtly declares this home is mine, an expression of my personality. Look, please, and admire all that I have. But hospitality whispers, what, my, what is mine is yours. You've heard the phrase, he's a whiner and diner. That is, you know, some, some people, they just whine and dine, right? They, they, they entertain people and they, they find ways to, to make people feel good by just making themselves look good. But Christians should just be servers and ministers. Finding ways to show hospitality to those that are strangers so that they can become friends. How about the holy huddles? When you think about this one, it's when you're so connected to a friend or a group of people that you only spend time with that select group to the neglect of others. It begins to look like the Jewish Christians in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 11, in which when, when those that were Gentiles came, Peter separated himself and went to eat with, though he was eating with the Gentile Christians, when the Jews came, he went and ate instead with the Jewish Christians and he separated himself into these holy huddles, if you will. It's a hindrance to hospitality. Make sure you're including and finding ways to be hospitable to all people. But finally, fake Christianity. Fake Christianity. When we don't truly have a relationship with Jesus, we won't see souls. And we won't be convicted about the benefits of hospitality. Instead, when we only see souls, we'll invite even the blind, the poor, the lame, and the maimed, because it's about their souls and not their status. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says, When you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you 
for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Fake Christianity says, I might be hospitable, but it's only to make myself look good. True Christianity says, I'm going to invite the people that can't repay me, that don't have anything to offer me, because I see their soul. Maybe as we conclude this lesson, you think, yeah, hospitality is a good thing. Is it really that important, though? Is it really that effective? Is it really something that I have to do? Let me share with you an anecdotal piece of evidence. Take it however you may. But every person that I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with and and then eventually the privilege of baptizing them, I first ended up sharing a meal with them. just works out that way, but I believe that maybe the second greatest tool in our weapon of evangelism, in in our goal of evangelism, our first weapon being the gospel, second greatest tool may be hospitality. Finding ways to take people from stranger to friend. Consider that God and Jesus Christ has shown us hospitality through His grace. He treated us better than we deserve. He's shown us that He appreciates us. He's tended to our needs. He's given us shelter in the face of adversity. He welcomes us as a former enemy. He now shares in a meal with us in the communion that we partake in. Are you someone that's hospitable? I understand the lesson this evening hasn't been geared towards the idea of of putting Christ on in baptism. If you need to do that, the invitation is, is yours at this time. But think about those of us that are Christians. The goal, the desire that we need to have in our life to be more hospitable. And if you need to repent of that failing or if you want to do better in your life, if there's anything we can do, we ask that you come. Together we stand and sing.